0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about
1: Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Please turn to Psalm 90. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in the back of the pew in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, after the service, please feel free to go to the information table in the gallery, and you may have one as a gift from Park Church. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Gwen. Uh, Good morning to all of you. Uh, My name is is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I get the privilege of preaching from Psalm 90. Uh, Before I jump in, I do want to say welcome to the kiddos. So kindergarten through fifth grade, they're going to be in with us during the summer. So if you're here, welcome. My daughter's like dancing on the second row. She's like, that's me. Uh, That's me. Welcome, welcome to all of you, uh, we're, we're glad you're, you are with us. Um, every summer we come back to the Psalms, we call it Christ in the Psalms. So we started all the way back in 2011 uh, with Psalm 1, and then from then on we've gone through the Psalms progressively and chronologically, and so this is our ninth year in the Psalms. It's a beautiful return for me, so if you've been around here for another couple years, um, you'll know that this is a fun rhythm for us as a church, to come back the Psalms. This summer, we're going to be covering Psalm ninety through Psalm ninety-nine, and um, and so uh, I also want to mention this: that out in the foyer, uh, you'll notice artwork every week uh, for each Psalm. We've commissioned ten visual artists from Park Church, from our community here. Um, to create a piece of art in response to each psalm that we're gonna go through. And so we'll see each week, we're gonna add those over in front of the coffee table. We're gonna add them one by one. So this week it's Bruce Butler. So if you go out there, there's a little poster explaining a little bit more about the art piece and who the artist was. Um, I think it's helpful for us to engage our hearts and saturate our imaginations in the psalms. And so we want uh, the psalms to have, have their way with us this summer. And that's one of the ways that we hope you engage with the psalms. Why the Psalms? Why do we come back to these every summer? Uh, Well, the Psalms were an integral part of Israel's life. Uh, They were crucial for Jesus's life and ministry. They were key for the early church and ultimately for every generation since till today. Without the Psalms, we would have an incomplete, underdeveloped and perhaps a misshaped or a deformed faith. The Psalms are amazing teachers. The Psalms are amazing teachers. We want to hear what the Psalms have to say and we want to learn from the Psalms every summer. And they teach us a few things, three things. Number one, they teach us to pray. They teach us to pray. Uh, Do you ever try to pray and feel like you lack the words? I do all the time. Um, I think God heard our stuttering, stammering prayers and he graciously gave us the Psalter. Because of that, the psalms are important for those beginning to pray, for those developing a vocabulary for prayer. Um, The psalms are a building block of sorts for prayer, for prayer. They're also essential for those who are far along their journey. They're vital for those who have lost their way, who who feel like their faith is becoming deconstructed. The psalms are a beautiful place to come back. It's something sturdy that you can just pray. Eugene Peterson said this, While the rest of Scripture speaks to us, the psalms speak. For us. So while the rest of Scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. They teach us to pray. Uh, Reason number two the Psalms also teach us how to feel. How to feel. Did you know that God is the giver of our emotions? God is the giver of emotions. The capacity to feel is a gift from God. God is the God of emotions. God is a God who actually feels. He gave us the capacity to experience the full range of emotions. So you name it, anger, joy, sadness, fear, disappointment, gratitude, anxiety, depression. Sadly, people think that we need to check these emotions at the door when we come into church, but the Psalms teach us a different way, don't they? The Psalms teach us to bring all of our emotions before God who loves us and can receive every emotion big or small. The Psalms teach us how to feel. Thirdly, the Psalms teach us about Jesus. Say what? How do the Psalms teach us about Jesus? This is an Old Testament book. Well, did you know that the whole of the Bible is actually about a person and it's about Jesus? It's about Jesus. Not only did Jesus pray these Psalms, but he also taught that the Psalms pointed to him. In Luke 24, verse 44 and 45, Jesus says this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me where in the law of Moses, so Exodus, where we just were, the law of Moses, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So when we say we want to see Jesus in the Psalms, we're saying that we want to try to read the Psalms in the same way that Jesus would have taught them. To us today, we want to learn to see Jesus in the Psalms. We want to see Jesus as a hero of the Psalms, a fulfiller of each and every Psalm. All right, I want to give a quick intro and then I want to pray for us as we jump into Psalm 90. But I want to give a, a quick intro for uh, Psalm 90 and what it is. Um, this Psalm is the oldest of Psalms that we find. Psalm 90 was written by Moses, and the timing of this Psalm has really been perfect. We just wrapped up the first half of Exodus. And uh, we looked at uh, one of Moses' other songs in Exodus 15 a few weeks ago. That was called the Song of the Sea. Um, in the Psalter, there are many genres or types of psalms. They're not just one kind of psalm. Uh, this psalm in particular is what's called a communal lament. It's a lament. That we don't see that often on Facebook or on social media. Um, a communal lament is intended to give voice to a whole people's sadness before God and ask God for pity, to ask God for mercy. It's not a hopeless psalm, it's not a despairing psalm, but rather it's pretty honest about some harsh realities that we experience in life. Uh, This psalm reads like much of wisdom literature, think Ecclesiastes, think the book of Job. Uh, We're not sure about the exact background of this psalm, we don't know if it's a particular story. We do know that it was likely written at the end of Moses' life, so he's probably about 120 years old, which is pretty old. Some have speculated that the background might have been Numbers 20 where Moses is dealing with, some two, with two pretty intense situations, the death of Miriam and Aaron, and then also his own sin where God says you're no longer going to go into the promised land. Uh, for the sake of simplicity, we're going to look at this psalm kind of being broken down into two ways, um, and it's two parts. So section one is a meditation. It's a meditation verses one through twelve. And then verses 13 through 17, it's a petition. So we have a meditation in the psalm and then we have a petition in the psalm. And I wanna say this to us today. I believe that God has something for us in Psalm 90. I believe God has something to say to us through Moses. And I pray that we have ears to hear. So let's do just that right now. Let's ask him for help. Holy Spirit, on Pentecost, you came with tongues of fire on your disciples 2,000 years ago. We ask that you would descend again and fill us today. Uh, We want to be open-hearted to you. We want to be aware of your work in us. I pray that you would make us wakeful right now. Wake us up. Would you burn up lies? Would you light up areas that we're confused in, that we need your clarity in? Would you lead us to see and love Jesus more today than we did yesterday? We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's look at section one, uh, the meditation. This is verses one through 12. This meditation is about God and it's about man. And really this meditation is a meditation of contrast. What's a contrast? Contrast is, a contra- contrast is two things that are vastly different from one another that are being compared side by side. I should, you should be able to see the contrast pretty clearly as you read this psalm. Um, as we work through the meditation, I'm going to try to make three super simple main points about this meditation. So let's start in verses 1 through 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So the first main point that we glean from is this. God is our eternal home. God is Our eternal home. So, two words, eternal and home. And so, we're going to look at each of these words. First, God is eternal. In this psalm, Moses highlights an attribute of God, and that is the eternality of God. What does that mean? God is eternal, God is infinite, God is forever. Moses says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God goes on forever and ever. He knows no beginning, He knows no end. Now, how many of you have been on a really long road trip with a family? Okay. Now, we have three daughters, and typically I'm going to play it out for you. We start our road trip, and inevitably five minutes in, something comes up. Either it's a bathroom break needed, or two, they ask a question. What's the question? Are we there yet? No, we're not. Right? And then what do they say? Uh, this is taking forever, right? Well, the forever in this psalm is the different than the forever that jumps up in my minivan, right? On a road trip. They're different forevers. God simply is. He goes on forever and ever. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He was before. He is now. And he will be forever. He is not like a road trip that will eventually end. Our small, finite minds have a terrible time trying to grasp this attribute, and yet it's precisely who God is. He is eternal. Earlier on in verse 2, we see Moses elaborating on on, on this thought. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, that word could also be translated birth. Before the mountains were birthed, before there was the earth and the world, there God was. So think about that. Before the Rockies existed, before Quandary pre- Peak was fashioned, before Maroon Bells stood in all their glory, before Grays and Tories overlooked the continental divide, there God was. He existed before these massive mountains that I'm always humbled by. And he formed them with a simple word. When we see the mountains, may we see the powerful and eternal nature of God. God is not merely eternal, but in verse 1, we learn that he is also an eternal home. He's an eternal dwelling place. Now, when you hear the word dwelling place, what do you think of? Some of you think about your address. Some of you think about the the place you live, where you sleep at night, where you make your food. It's your home base. Other of you might think about your neighborhood. We live in the Berkeley neighborhood or Wash Park. Uh, This word that Moses used could be translated a few different ways. It could be translated home, refuge, shelter, abode. And this word dwelling place, if you quote it in front of a nomadic people who have been basically camping for 40 years, their ears will perk up probably, right? They've been on a hellish 40-year camping trip. Camping is fun and all, but at the end of the day, we all want to go home, don't we? Moses is talking about a dwelling place. Interestingly for Moses and the Israelites, Moses wasn't talking about a geographical dwelling place. This wasn't about Egypt where they came from. This wasn't about Canaan where they were headed. Moses was talking about a spiritual home, a home for their hearts. The truth is that all of us in this room, regardless of our spiritual beliefs, atheist agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, whatever our beliefs, all of us are looking for more than a physical home. We ache for home regardless of this word uh, of dwelling place and the refuge is uh, a dwelling place is ultimately at the end of the day a place that we look for significance and security a place that we look to for significance and security that's what's wrapped up in dwelling place and so i want to take you through a little exercise today where is your dwelling place where does your heart dwell where is your heart's home base Let me ask a few questions that will hopefully kind of bring that to light. What are you ultimately banking on? What are you putting your trust in as you look at your life and the whole of it? Where do you run to in times of joy? Where do you run to in times of fear? Are you trying to find a dwelling place in money? Maybe physical possessions, a physical appearance, buying a house in Denver, good luck with that. Keeping up with the latest Apple gadgets. For kids, it might be the toys that you so long for from Target, LOL dolls, Legos, Shopkins, video games. Others might try to find a dwelling place in power and status, proving that you're a big deal and making a name for yourself in the industry. You've got the title, so clearly you are a big deal. Some of you set up a dwelling place in the approval of others. You try to be loved, you just want to be noticed, you just want to be included be friendships, a particular relationship, your family, your grandkids. Some of you are straight up hedonists, seeking as much pleasure and comfort as you can in Denver. And that's your home base. I think that's pretty common here in Denver. We come to Denver to use her and then we go back to whatever state we're from. That manifests itself in trying to live the Instagram worthy life of skiing, hiking, brunches, craft breweries, happy hours, yoga, you name it. Others of you just want to medicate yourself with weed, with Netflix, with sex, with porn. Give me something so I don't have to sit in the silence. You don't want to be confronted with the fact that all of the dwelling places you've sought out for joy have run dry. It might be religion. It might be being a good person without regard for God himself and your need for him. You actually just think you're a pretty self-righteous person, good without God. That might be your dwelling place. Well, God comes to all of these shabby slums in verse 1 of Psalm 9, and he says, I am your eternal dwelling place. Abide in me. Leave those slums and come to me. The amazing news about this is that God is a million times better than what we've been looking for in the world. He's far sturdier. He's not a fad who's here today and gone tomorrow. He doesn't have an expiration date. Notice the end of verse 1. He has been a dwelling place in all Generations, no generation, including our own and the next one to come and the one after that, will outgrow this need for God to be our dwelling place. So far, so good, right? God is a dwelling place. Mountains are being born. That's pretty cool. And then we reach verse 3. We notice a shift in direction. What does it say? Verse 3 You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but, are but as yesterday when it has passed, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and yet in the evening it fades and withers. Tons of contrast here. Can I make a quick exhortation to us right now? In this particular section that Moses and Psalm 90 come to you right now, it's a countercultural message of sorts. Can I just encourage you to stay engaged with me, stay engaged, instead of checking out right now. I think Moses is coming to us speaking a different language than we're used to, and we need to hear what he has to say. We live in happy, carefree Denver, don't we? It's sunny 245 days of the year, that's not today, and in a sense, Denver functions like Eden for us, and yet we don't need God. The psalm comes to us telling something, some seemingly harsh truths that are no less real. And in fact, because we're not naturally talking about these in our cultures, in our coffee shops, we probably need to listen in a little more attentively. This psalm is trying to prepare each of us for life as it really comes and not as we wish it would be. For real things, each of us will experience whether we like it or not. Verses six, uh, three through six teach us the next main point and it's very simple. Life is frail. Life is frail and it's fragile. We like to think that we're super in control of things. The reality is that each of us is way less in control of our destinies than we like to admit. I was reading an amazing story to my daughters. It was the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. And I came to realize that our lives are much more akin to the first little pigs than the third one. We come and we build our houses made out of straw and sticks, not bricks. Regardless of our yearly income, regardless of our family heritage, regardless of our education, we are all fragile, finite beings susceptible to all kinds of things. And when visited by the big bad wolf of life, be it troubles, calamity, a divorce, financial misfortune, Maybe it's just simply things not going the way we envisioned in our mind, our houses end up blown down. And we left we're left wondering: where is my home? The word for dust seen in verse 3 is associated with a root that indicates lowness, humility, crushing down. Ultimately, it's talking about death. From dust we came into dust we shall return. We find that in, in Genesis 3. We can't help but hear echoes of the fall of Adam and Eve in these verses. What did Adam and Eve do? Well, they ultimately rejected God as their true dwelling place, didn't they? They chose to build their houses on a new plot of land. They said, God, this plot of land is nice, but we don't like you being in charge. We want to be the bosses. They were the captains of their own ship. And the irony is that they were looking for joy outside of God. But what did they find? Sin and death. That's what they found. They didn't find more joy. They found death. It's a reminder from the curse that life will come to an end far sooner than we think it will and life will be harder as we imagine it to be. Our life is, in the words of this psalm, eventually swept away as with a flood. It's like a dream in the night or like the grass that's here today and is gone by the evening time. If you're feeling encouraged by this message, we're not done yet. It keeps going. It gets worse before it gets better. Let's keep going. Verses 7 and 8. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. So not only are we confronted with the frailty of our lives, but now we're also confronted with a third main point, and that's this. Man is sinful. Man is sinful. Humans are sinful. It's here that Moses holds up a mirror to us, saying that not only is your life super fragile, but also your hearts are super sinful. God sees both overt sins done in public and secret sins done behind closed doors. Even the ones that we're completely unaware of, God sees them and he knows them by name. Let's keep reading verses 9 through 11. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80 Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So I want to say on behalf of Psalm 90, welcome to Park Church. Be encouraged. God is eternal. Life is short. Man is sinful. And this sin is met by God's real anger and wrath. Before you get too far down a weird train of thought, let me say this. The anger and wrath that we find in Psalm 90 is not an example of God being mean. It's not an example of God being nasty. It's not an example of God being capricious. Rather, it's a God responding to real sin and real evil in the world. That's what it's a response to. His anger is not sinful. His anger is actually sparked by love, a deep love. Tim Keller says this, in its uncorrupted origin, anger is actually a form of love. Some would say the opposite of love is hatred and anger, but the opposite of love is actually passivity and indifference. God is far from passive. If he doesn't get angry, we should have some questions. Follow someone's anger and you can find what they love and what they care about. In this case, God cares both about the glory of his own name as well as the good of his people. He is desperate for the Israelites to have life. And yet they've wandered far from him. Apart from him, as their dwelling place, this joy and life could never happen. So God is angry and wrathful. And this anger and wrath is calling them back. It's, it's manifesting itself in discipline, not just meanness. God's anger and wrath are his love in motion to draw them back. Verse 12, it's a conclusion of sorts to this little meditation, to the section. What in the world are we to do with these realities? And Moses tells us, verse 12, so in light of all these things that we just read, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I think when confronted with these realities, we can respond in wise ways and unwise ways, can't we? We could get a heart of despair and we start freaking out, saying, I need to get as much pleasure in as I can. And yet Moses says, don't go that unwise route. Go the wise route. I need to teach you to do something. What is that? It's a discipline. We need to learn from God. We need to learn how to do something. What is that? We need to learn to number our days. Some of you might say, man, that sounds pretty depressing to me. And yet we're told to do it. It's precisely the numbering of our days that gives us a heart of wisdom. Why? Because life, whether we like it or not, will continue to be frail, and man will continue to be sinful. And so we number our days saying, God, give me an eternal perspective. You're my eternal home. Give me an eternal perspective in the midst of this fragility and the midst of this iniquity. Draw me back to my eternal home. This isn't about a math problem like counting our days, one, two, three. How many days do I have? No, that's not about what it is. It's actually learning to live our life in light of our death. Our lives will end one day. Some of us in this room, sooner than than others. Imagine what our lives would look like if each morning we thought to ourselves, today could be my last day. How might I live today to love God and to love others? What would it look like for you to ask God to help you be present to opportunities and where he's leading you each day. we remember that while we are sinful and life is short, God is our eternal home and God would help us live in light of that truth. And that's the meditation, that's section one. We're gonna move on from the meditation to the petition and that's found in verses 13 through 17. So how do we respond to these past 12 verses? What do we do? And I think... Moses shows us a proper response to all these realities is this. It's prayer. It's prayer. Do you feel your frailty this morning? Do you feel your sinfulness, your brokenness? Do you feel the brokenness in the world around you? Do you feel the desire for your true home? The invitation is here, and Moses gives it to us. Run to God in prayer. The only way home is through prayer. This prayer has three main requests. The first request we see in verse 13. It's this, return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Have pity on your servants. So this first request is return. It's really a request for a relationship with God. We start by crying out for a returning of sorts. I love that it's a repetition of a phrase that we read earlier. Look back at verse three. God says to man, what does he say? Return, O children of man, And yet here in verse 13, we find Moses repeating the phrase back to God, saying, return, O Lord. Did you know that God will eventually say to each of us at some point in our lives, return? Return. This is a reference to death. It's a reference to Genesis 3. And yet 10 verses later, Moses uses it while he is alive to cry out to God. He says, God, return. You felt absent. You felt distant feel angry and wrathful would your face be turned towards me not in anger but actually in favor not in anger but actually in favor would you show me mercy would you show me pity this is a prayer that God loves to answer how do we know well God sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and through faith in Jesus we are restored to our father and to our original dwelling place the place that we were intended for that's how we know Let's keep going. Verses 14 and 15, we see the second request. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. What is Moses asking for right here? Moses is begging God to satisfy the hunger of his heart. Did you know that your heart was born with a deep hunger? Your heart was born with a hunger. And while that hunger has looked for satisfaction outside of God, only God can ultimately meet it. This daily satisfaction found in the morning that we see right here satisfies in the morning with your steadfast love is hinting at the provision in the wilderness of manna by God. It's Israel finding a sign of God's covenantal steadfast love. And the word of the Jesus storybook Bible, it's his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, forever love. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they find what? Their rest in you. Our hearts won't be satisfied until they are satisfied in God. Until your heart finds its dwelling place in God, it will never be at peace and rest. I want to mention a couple practical ways we can incorporate this rhythm of finding satisfaction in God. First is simply, I want to encourage you, start off your morning praying this prayer in verse 14. God, satisfy me in the morning with your love today. I want to start not with Instagram. I want to start not with email. I don't want to start with the news and start getting stressed. I want to start by being satisfied in your love today. First things first. First things first. What would it look like to find satisfaction in God in the morning in scripture, in prayer, in delight. Another way, uh, I want to invite you on Thursday mornings uh, from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m., we're going to be praying through the Psalms. So this next Thursday, we're going to be praying through Psalm 90 here together, learning how, how is it that we pray the Psalms together? We can meet with God and meet some new people. All right, verses 16 and 17, the third and final request. This is where we end. Moses doesn't just ask God to satisfy the hunger of his heart but he also prays that God would establish the work of his hands. Read this with me. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I just wanna say this in closing. While God satisfies us with himself, it doesn't end there. Moses knows that there's actually a trajectory to God's blessing. It must move outward. It must move outward. He prays that the favor of the Lord would be on him, not so he can just sit around and be like, hmm, yes. But actually he says, then in turn he says, establish the work of my hands. He prays that the favor of the Lord would be upon him for the good of others. He asks God to establish the work of his hands. And it's a reminder that we don't work independently from God, but in conjunction with him, dependently on him. God must establish the work of our hands, and with me, we must work too. What would it look like for us to work with God? Often I, I have a tendency to, to silo my relationship with God, and so I remember I was working at, um, in sales, and I remember like praying hard in the morning, reading my Bible, and then I'd be praying on the way to work, and then as soon as I'd walk into the office place, I would kind of be like, okay, now it's my office time. This is my work time, right? Forgetting to realize that God was with me in my work. What would it look like throughout my day to say, God, you are with me? Would you establish the work of my hands? At 10.30 a.m., at 11.15, at, at 2.30, whatever time it is, just say short little breath prayers. God, establish the work of my hands. Remind me that you're with me. Would you work through me? Whatever it is, big or small, may you find God in your work. I pray that this psalm, would remind us that we hear the invitation of God in this prayer to return to our eternal home. And from that place, ultimately we ask for two things. God, would you satisfy the hunger of my heart? And then in turn, would you establish the work of my hands? Let's pray. Eternal God. Eternal God, uh, we want to come home to you from from all the different places we've wandered from you. We say together, you are an eternal home for us amidst a chaotic life, a frail life, and amidst a life that we continue to wander from you in sinful ways. We thank you that there is a way back to you. We pray that we'd be a people who draw close to you. We pray that we would be a people who are deeply satisfied in you. Deeply satisfied in you. And then in turn, God, would you establish the work of our hands. Would we, as a church, be a blessing to Denver, to cities throughout all, all of the U.S., to the world? God, we want to be a blessing because you've been a blessing to us. And for all this, in the name of Jesus, amen.